Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Rami Shami. I am the Outreach Coordinator for Lighthouse for Grieving Children, and this is the Lighthouse Beacon Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I have a very special guest that we had the privilege of meeting pre-COVID. She was uh, kind enough to come to our to our facility and give us a, a perspective uh, of what she saw from a multicultural diversity, equity, inclusivity lens, and her feedback and, and insights were immeasurable. Uh, her name is Margarita Cardena. Car- Can you correct that for me, Margarita? I, I was going to ask you before I even asked, I started the podcast, how you pronounce your name. That's no problem. Uh, I'm more used to people asking me about my name, which is very easy because it's just like the drink. <laughs> oh. <laughs> My name is Margarita Cardona. Yeah. I, I really appreciate the way you say that. And I'm sensitive as a person like with a name like Rami Shami. Anyways, thank you, Margarita. Margarita works at Halton Multicultural Council Connections, which is a community settlement agency in the Halton region. And that organization serves to support newcomers uh, to Canada in the community. Currently, she's the coordinator of the community settlement program, but has held different positions in the agency over the past 14 years. And under her coordination, there are 14 staff members who speak different languages in a measure to support families who choose Halton Region as their home. Uh, Margarita herself is an immigrant. She arrived in Canada with her husband in 2000. In Colombia, where she's originally from, she obtained a degree in psychology. And her graduate project, which is close to my heart, was research that was related to attitudes towards death and people working in the health sector. And that's my bread and butter, in all honesty. Today, Margarita has joined us to speak from the perspective of her experiences with individuals settling in in Halton region, especially with the aspects of immigration and being refugees, as my parents were when they came here 40, 50 years ago. All the losses that are incurred, the experiences of grief, and specifically with those applied to children. So welcome, Margarita, and thank you for joining us with everything that's going on in the world today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Rami, and for trying to um, include this perspective in your podcast. Thank you. I think it's an important piece. You know, Southern Ontario is one of the most diverse regions in the world. And as we come here as as immigrants, refugees, and settle, there are a great many challenges. Can you give us a little bit of a background or maybe some insights, Margarita, as to what you see, what you've experienced, especially in the nature of your work? Uh, so as you said, we have been an agency working with immigrants for the last uh, 43 years. Uh, we have four offices, actually five offices in uh, the Hudson region. We serve clients from uh, Milton, Oakville, Burlington, Georgetown as well. And that's our newest, uh, our newest uh, location. And then throughout this year, the 14 years that I have been working in the, in the agency, we have seen a lot of changes. So obviously for anyone who lives right now in the Hudson region, it's uh, undeniable that we have more diversity. We have seen different waves of people, different immigrants, people from different backgrounds, cultural backgrounds coming through the, through the years where uh, some groups come, then they get a little bit quiet and then other uh, different cultures come. And, uh, and that's the, the day-to-day for us uh, in our experience. So different people come with different needs, and uh, it is related a lot to what uh, the the country where they're coming from, but also the way they come to the country. Sometimes people that are not familiar with uh, these immigration topics 
have uh, different or wrong ideas of how people come to the country, and then they tend to generalize or they have to uh, sometimes stereotypes just because of what they see sometimes in the media or what they are hearing, what the buzz of the day is, right? But uh, when we're working there, we do know that there are people that plan to come as uh, immigrants under the different immigration programs that the government has. And there are people that don't plan to come to the country. They just have no other option. Over the last years, we have been more familiar with all the uh, programs that the federal government has for protected people, for refugees. And of course, three or four years ago, we were all talking about the Syrian refugees. But the country has been receiving refugees forever. And what I was just going to say is that sometimes the misconception is that most people who come to to Canada are refugees, and that's not the case. So many people have the opportunity to plan, and then they go through different uh, immigration processes where when they are back home, they have uh, all the time to learn about Canada, to learn the language, to uh, sell their belongings, to save, and then they can come, and it's, uh, I'm not going to say that is uh, easy, but it will probably are a more clear path for them because they have the financial means, they have the language that are going to help immensely in their settlement process. Uh, but there are others that because of different reasons, war or uh, we're familiar with disasters or things like that, don't have that opportunity. And then the only uh, option that they have is that the helping hand of one country, in our case Canada, tends to them and then they have just to say yes because otherwise they wouldn't be safe or their lives are in danger. And those are the, the, refugee, the refugees, the refugee claimants, the protected people that are uh, sponsored by the government or by, private, by, by the private sector. And we have others that are, I would say, in between and are people that, uh, because of different situations, are forced to leave their country and they come as refugee claimants to start a whole uh, legal process here until they become permanent residents. So depending on their status and depending on their, uh, as I mentioned, the country of origin, people have different pathways to follow and they come across different challenges. But I can't uh, I will be lying if I say that the life of an immigrant in our country is easy because even people that are coming from, I would say, the United States, right, that you will think, okay, piece of cake, not a big deal, they speak the language. Even for them, uh, they go through different process of adaptation, and even for them, they have to overcome challenges and they have some sort of a cultural shock as well. Thank you, Margarita. I, I very much appreciate so much of your perspectives as they relate even to my upbringing, because uh, my father was a refugee, my mother was an immigrant. They had very different experiences coming to Canada. And in fact, interestingly, you said how you mentioned coming from the States to Canada as an immigrant isn't easy either, because that's how my father actually, his route was. He came to the US and then came to Canada in that, uh, in that direction. And from what I've, uh, many of my friends are immigrants and, and some are even, you know, refugees. Uh, your insights were invaluable. Can you provide us maybe a, some insights in what you've experienced to what is lost or the experience of loss that immigrants and refugees experience? 
I know, yeah. I know I speak from my family and my father relates all the time, all the things that he's lost, all the, you know, all the experiences of loss he has and the grief he still has to this day, 50, 60 years later, from your perspective and your position, can you tell us a little bit about the the losses that, you know, these demographics of people experience? Yeah. So uh, in any case, regardless of the way you come to the country as a refugee or as a, or as a permanent resident or as somebody who's sponsored because they got married with a Canadian, for example, in any case, we're talking about an experience of loss, regardless, right? So the first thing, of course, that you're going to lose is the contact with your um, your country itself, your family members, you come to the country, and um, even if you have a spouse here or even if you have a family member here, you have no network. You have to start from zero, building your own support network. If you are talking about language, even if you are lucky enough to learn or to have learned the language in advance, uh, it's a total different story, right? Uh, we all know that language is more than the than words. We all know that language with with language comes a way to see the world, a whole culture around language. And when you cannot express yourself, even if you have the words, but when you cannot put the emotions in place, or when can you you cannot relate to the humor, for example, to the sense of humor, you are a bit of a loss. Their day-to-day practices as well. Um, things as simple as how do you take care of the garbage, for example. You have to learn again. So when you come, uh, when, when anybody else come, there is a, some sort of a stage of, a, they call it a honeymoon, because at the beginning you are, you feel like everything is new, everything could be beautiful, you enjoy the stations or, or, um, or things like that, or the season, sorry. But with time, then you sort of settle, and then you figure out what is at loss. So family members, your own upbringing, the folklore, your traditions, your language, even the food. Uh, sometimes, I mean, we're, I think we're very lucky here that because of the diversity, we're seeing more and more opportunities to buy ingredients from different uh, uh, cuisines of the world. But... Um, I would say, I mean, I can just speak for, for, for myself that uh, if I am craving something that I am not able to do myself uh, because I don't have the cooking skills, <laughs> yeah, I would probably be able to get it if I take my car or if I take public transportation and go all the way to Toronto, which is not the case for every everybody else, right? So even if you find the ingredients here, the taste could be not the same or things like that. So from any perspective that you see it, the immigration journey is an immigration of love. And what you're, when you are mentioning your dad, I can totally relate to what you say because uh, the experience of an immigrant, I think is so unique that um, we, are, we get to the point, even if we are settled in the community, even if you love, like I do love Canada, and I feel Canada, of course, my second home, and I have been living here now more than 20 years. But uh, this is the experience of any immigrant, I would say. You feel at one point that you don't belong here and you don't belong there either. Because even if you go to visit family or you go to have vacations, then, of course, um, your country or your home, your, your, your um, uh, overseas home keeps changing and keeps uh, evolving. So when you go back, 
you figure out that you 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 don't sit there anymore because people are also behaving different and things have changed a little bit. So you enjoy it, but you don't feel quite there. And then uh, the same thing applies here, right? We all love it. We know that Canada does a great job trying to um, accept us and try, uh, does a good job, I think, trying to encourage people to accept diversity. Uh, but there are points and times when you feel that, yeah, you don't belong. And uh, thinking of folklore and traditions is one of them, right? So sometimes, uh, <laughs> even after all these many years, if I if I hear a couple of people that are Canadian uh, talking and then talking not a big deal, but if they're joking and in their jokes are they are referring to very specific experiences that they had when they were uh, children or when they were teenagers. I don't know an artist, a TV drama, something that I can't understand because I don't relate to it. You feel at loss, and and I and that's probably what your dad still mentions that yeah. You belong here, you may understand the language, you get along with people, but deep deep into yourself, you know that still still something missing. And I think that's the experience of uh, any immigrant, right? So we are halfway here, halfway there. And, uh, and then we have to constantly uh, reconnect with that experience and kind of make peace with that because uh, that's where we are. That is wonderfully said, Margarita. That is wonderfully said, because that's how I grew up. I grew up with this, even though I was born and raised here, I grew up feeling from my family, especially my father, that we don't belong here. Not that I don't, but we as a family don't belong here and we don't belong there. Yeah. When we go back there, we act, they act, the, the sentiment is, well, you're not from here anymore. You are Canadians. And when we come here, there's still a great deal of discrimination, racism, trying to fit in, disconnection from culture, all the things you articulated so eloquently. And you get this sense of, and I love the term that you used, immigration loss or immigrant loss. It's, it's, so, it's so pertinent because you feel this sense of loss from so many different perspectives, from a, a grounding, from a, from a sense of community, from a sense of even foods and, and connection. And you came when you in, in the year 2000. And when my parents came, it was, I find it was, you know, there wasn't necessarily the organization such as HMC to help with settlement. It was a literally good luck, you know, put your roots down and, 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 yeah. and, and good luck. And there's still, still a great deal of, of racism and bias. And, and I love how you mentioned the whole honeymoon phase. Yeah, no doubt. Right. There's that honeymoon phase. And then the reality of it sits in when, all the barriers, such as, as you so well said, this aspect of learning what to do with the garbage. Yeah. Right? In, in minor things. You just need to pretty much hit reset and start all over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <that's what> it <laughs> is. And it's those practical things. And, you know, in, in a lot of the work that I do, there isn't so much a, a segregation or a differentiation in how loss is experienced. Loss is loss. Death maybe a more extreme or in you know a deeper if i can use that term experience of loss but we have losses are experienced as grief you know whether they're due to immigration and change in culture and lifestyle or it's it's death it's we feel these aspects and grieve them and i see my parents and I, and i want to ask you as well with the, with whoever you work with and including you and your husband i see them still grieve 
they still there is this feeling that they haven't settled or they don't belong here there but there's still this constant continuous sense of grief and loss that they're still grieving right i mean i don't think it really goes away do you experience that margarita do you and your husband experience that specifically the feeling of this loss and grief or do you see the people you serve experience it or speak to you about it that's yeah. not necessarily death related yeah no it's i mean absolutely any loss any loss regardless of course we know there are some losses that are more critical but bear in mind that you mentioned that of course and losing a loved one is critical but also moving is considered one of the most critical and stressful situations for somebody to grieve so definitely and then in the process and you earlier mentioned and I, and i hear you when you say this is the way you were raised up because something that came to my mind is when i make the when i made the decision to come or when somebody is lucky enough to make the decision to come then you have somehow the way and the power you have the power in your in your mind talk to your, yourself and say okay uh, this is the process and then but it was my decision and i chose to come here right uh, and then i was hearing when you're saying this is the way you were raised uh, and I'm, it makes me think about um, the children and and the youth that just had to follow their parents and then cope with that grieving process in a different way. Then they are powerless in the sense that they are not able to say, well, I am here because it was my decision, then I will just try to face the consequences of that. They're basically at the mercy of what their parents' attitudes toward that grieving are and the modeling that they do for their children. So they even have, I would say, in a, in a certain way, a different challenge. Uh, the kids and the children that, that are also coming just because they have no other option that follow their, their parents. Immigrants, yeah, they do share in different stages, of course. Uh, you see people when they are just uh, newly arrived, as I mentioned, the, honey, the, the, the honeymoon uh, stage, and then when they are facing the reality, when they're hitting walls that they hit, because uh, sometimes people do some research. And let's just be honest, we know Canada is a beautiful country. We know we are in one of the top, actually, I believe this year we were chosen as the, as the best yeah. country yeah. in the world. That is true. But systems here also work with uh, vices and we do have challenges. And then some people come with rosy expectations that everything is going to be pink in color. And when they start facing those uh, challenges, then they have to kind of ground those expectations and uh, overcome the frustration. And then the grieving process also kicks in, right? So where you sometimes, and this is human as well, we tend to idealize whatever was in the past, even if it's not real. So when you see the challenges here, numerous times, uh, numerous times people that we're helping are telling us, oh, back home is different. If I were back home, that would be this, done this way. It would be faster. It wouldn't be uh, so complicated. You wouldn't have to deal with so many uh, steps for a process or licenses or certifications in the case of professionals, things like that, right? Because something that we don't understand, and then uh, when you are born in a country, like if you are Canadian, if you, if you were born here, 
things come to you as a second nature. It's just natural, just natural. It's just the way you see the world. It's just the way you have been raised. Um, it's not really anything weird that, that the town is telling you to take your garbage every other week if it is uh, recyclable or not. That's just second nature to you. Uh, but when this is not the way you were raised, or when you're no, you were not used to that, then everything takes energy to learn, even the simple things. And then with energy comes the stress, and that's also part of the of the process. And to go back to your to your uh, original question about the grieving throughout years, I guess more than the grieving is we're always going to be facing the consequences of our decision to immigrate, right? for good or for bad. And I have noticed in, in ourselves and in my friends, let's say, because those are the ones that I kind of, uh, of course, talk to more often than clients, that it also has certain processes, right? So when you are younger, then um, you're seeing everything more rosy. And when you're closer to those times when um, maybe retirement is not so far from in the horizon, then you start again double-checking if you made the right decision, or even if you are convinced that you made the right decision, then you start thinking, okay, is it time for me to go back? Uh, how are going to be my my golden or my senior years here in, in this community where I probably have uh, no network or, or not a big network or where uh, maybe still the community is not diverse enough that if I go to, let's say, a retirement home, I'm going to be able to talk to somebody in my language or I'm going to be able to have the food that I like, that I enjoy, uh, served to me. So I find that there are different processes in that, in that grieving process from the time that you come until uh, it depends of the, of the stage of your life that you're at. And, but I think it's always there. But there is always going to be that before and after or that comparison between what is back home and what is uh, Canada as a, as a second home. And that's what it is. And I think these days, with all the polarization and all the social movements that we see here and there, um, it's becoming more relevant. That question mark in the life of every single person thinking, uh, should I go back home? How are things going to to be in the future, right? We, with all these movements that we have, the anti-black, the anti-Asian, the Islamophobia, all of that that is popping up here and there, which is, of course, no good. I think every every person then is thinking again, did I make the right decision or is it time for me to go back? Thank you so much, Margarita, for those insights because... It brings to my mind, it starts to percolate in my mind a question then. As you're, as you're describing, you know, these, the, the grief and the losses uh, that immigrants and refugees, and the change, I love how you said, I appreciate how you said the energy that takes it takes that we have to put into managing and changing, right? There's, a, there's an experience in that. Then what do, you, what do you think of that somebody is going through these changes, either as an individual, as a family, as a community, in settling and those the grief they may be carrying or they may be processing and then they experience a death here the death of a child or a death of a parent what do you yeah. how do you feel about how the grief will be either complicated exasperated 
changed. What are your thoughts on that? Have you seen that with, with the people, individuals that you work with? Yeah, well, I think if we already know that death is one of the most stressful moments in everybody's life. I think the fact that you are an immigrant, depending, of course, on, on how long have you been in the country and how big or how strong your network of support is, it's going to be even more devastating, right, uh, for different reasons. Uh, as I mentioned, because of the support that you have, the network of support that you have, but also because of that division between your life here and your life back home. So if... if uh, somebody's here and they go through any family loss in Canada and they still have country overseas, sorry, family overseas, they are divided, right? There is no grieving process that you can live, uh, I would say, as properly as you should just because uh, you are divided, your experience is divided. Sometimes people, especially now with COVID, Right? So it's not as easy, either you suffer a loss here or you suffer a loss overseas. It's not as easy for you to travel or for family to come over and, and, and bring you support and give you support. So it's potentially more devastating than, uh, than if you were here and everything that, that uh, you have, all the family that you have, you are surrounded by in, in Canada's home. So the experience is divided, and if you don't have a proper support network, it's an experience that it could end up being uh, more devastating and more difficult to recover from. Because uh, we all know that in order for you to grieve, you need the time, you need time to take care of yourself, you need the uh, support of a network, you need the support of uh, services in the community, and you need basically somebody to lean on and to kind of pass on some of the load of your feelings and your emotions, even in the simple things. But if you don't have that web of support around you, then the experience is going to be uh, more devastating. And it could end up being um, more damaging in the long term, right? So I'm thinking we all know that uh, with, with an immediate loss, you go through certain processes and that is more than normal that you mourn and that you are depressed and that you cry, right? But if you don't have the, the opportunity to go through those processes because the network isn't there, then you may be stalled, stagnant, and then it could impact your further uh, mental health. Yes, and, yes. Uh, and we see it, right? It's not necessarily that, we, that people that, that come to us talk to us about that, but we just see it. It's just uh, with the experiences that we see here and there. Actually, our job is, try sometimes, is, is sometimes to try to make sure that the people who experience a loss is able to connect with the resources out there in the community, and sometimes those resources play the role of a family member that is not here, of a friend that is not here. Sometimes even people come to us and they don't need a specific service from us. It's just because they, they can't speak the same language, that they feel at home. And sometimes that is enough, uh, that there is an uh, ear that is listening to them, that there is someone that can understand what they're going through from the specific perspective of language or culture or even religion, right? Sometimes that person that is going to understand the ritual that I am missing, 
uh, how important it is for me to process uh, the, the loss of the family member this way or that way. Sometimes the, that person in front of me that speaks the language and understands me is uh, what, what our clients need, and, and that's kind of the support that we provide. And Margarita, from that perspective, when you said you referral services, through the lens of diversity and multiculturalism, especially within Halton region, do you feel, especially since you make those connections, you know, for those resources, do you feel there is adequate and appropriate services from a grief and bereavement perspective for immigrants and refugees? Unfortunately, no. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason for that, Rami, is specific, the, the cultural lenses, right? It's very hard. We know that there are, commu- there are uh, services out there in the community, but because of it, it really depends on the type of client that we're trying to support. But sometimes because of the language barrier or because of the cultural, of the different cultural perspectives, even if we make the connection, that connection may not work out for the client. If the services, uh, even if the client uh, fixed the language, I'm just uh, trying to recall something, not necessarily an experience related with, um, with a death, but uh, there was a time when we referred um, one of the clients to an organization that was supporting clients of that type. I just don't want to mention because there's so few in the community that I don't want to identify yeah, yeah. The, the organization. Uh, so the client that we were referring, um, this person was okay with the language, but when, when she was connected with this uh, case manager from this organization, the suggestion that the case manager was uh, given to her didn't make any sense from the cultural perspective of this client, right? So if, I'm, if, I am, uh, so if the suggestion was, well, then you have to um, confront your mother-in-law, talk to them, just set your, set your, um, stand your point and do it in a, in a way that is respectful, et cetera, et cetera. But for the, for the specific culture of that client, talking to your mother-in-law was not even conceivable, like was even even feasible, then that cultural piece was missing, right? And sometimes that, what ha- that is what happens with all sorts of services, uh, not necessarily from, uh, with grieving services, is that they are not um, culturally sensitive enough. Either because, not, and I don't blame the services, it's, I think it takes time for a community to react to the reality of the demographic change. I'm positive that change is coming our way. I'm positive things are, are changing, but probably too slow, right? So I guess over the last 10 years, if you live in Halton, you have seen, there is no way you have not seen the change in demographics. So I guess very slowly, the community will, or will continue changing in the type of services that are offered in the sense of hiring more diverse staff that are able to connect with those clients coming from different cultures or um, incorporating practices or guidelines that are going to consider the different practices that different cultures have and make possible that those practices or those or those yeah, those uh, rituals or practices are acknowledged within the guidelines of the services that are provided, right? So I'm, I'm positive that things are, are, are going to change or are changing, 
but maybe the pace is uh, is not there yet. Maybe we need to kind of uh, speed up a little bit. You know, Margarita, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, <laughs> is that it is happening very slow, and I mean, a pandemic, COVID nineteen, hasn't helped. Um, there's been a lot of attention on Black Lives, Indigenous Lives Matter, anti-Asian racism, people of color, immigrants, refugees, and the movement towards a more accepting or tolerance-based society is happening very slowly. From your perspective, as we bring this session to somewhat of a close, when it, when it specifically applies to children and their experience of grief, of parents who are immigrants or refugees, or the children themselves are also immigrants and refugees. Um, can you comment on what they may struggle with, what their perspective is? And then if there's this intergenerational piece you might have seen as well that affects children and youth who, who may be grieving. Yeah. Well, I think kids uh, in general, regardless of their, their age, are trapped. They're trapped because... If they're very young, then chances are they will adapt very quickly, they will learn the language very quickly, and then they have a huge responsibility because they become the interpreters for their parents, both language-wise and culturally-wise, right? So they are in schools that are teaching them Canadian values, Canadian practices, Canadian guidelines, and then they come home and they are still in, call it India, Afghanistan, Colombia, Italy, whatever, right? So they are trapped and divided between the two different um, different cultures. And when they go through any specific laws, regardless of if it is a parent or if it is a child, but, but more specifically about um, the children, then that responsibility that comes from that trap becomes even bigger, right? So now they are losing that root with their specific culture but they are not equipped to deal with Canada as such because of because of the of the anchor that they have uh, with their parents. And uh, for parents, the same thing, right? So they are. I, I believe the loss is even is even worse since you are still dealing and grieving with the loss of your own home country or the loss of your own culture. And then now there is something else on top of that that they have to deal and that, that they have to deal with and that they have to somehow interpret for the peers or for the community or for the teachers or for whoever surrounds them. Because loss and death is not dealt in uh, this, this, the same way in different cultures. And again, here you have, you are in Canada, so the expectations of the Canadian community or the expectations of the Canadian society may be absolutely different and you're trapped. How do you interpret, how do you pass on the message of your own emotions, of your own rituals, of your own practices that are normal for you because you have been learning them from uh, your family? How do you pass that significance and that symbolism on to the Canadian counterparts that are not raised in that way and that are probably not going to understand how, how things work, right? First thing that comes to my mind, for example, and again, I'm not an expert because that's not my, my faith, but so much that I have learned from my colleagues, when there is a death in a Muslim community, my understanding is that you need to act on the spot to arrange the funeral. It's not a matter of time. You don't have time, right? You, you cannot wait. It has to happen within 
I mean, as soon as possible, it has to happen within 24 hours, ideally, because that is what uh, what uh, they expect to happen based on the religion. If that, and let's let's say that this is in the middle of COVID, right? So with all the protocols and everything that's going on, everything is delayed. How do you interpret your cultural expectation? How do you make peace? With that, with that cultural expectation, when you are not allowed, for whatever reason, to fulfill those uh, those wishes, or when the protocols or the guidelines or everything that you have to do is so difficult that you cannot arrange for a funeral according to your expectation, how do you pass that frustration on in a way that a Canadian counterpart is able to understand and is able to be um, empathic with, right? when it's difficult to understand from their perspective, how come if funerals here are arranged a week after or two weeks after, right? And what's wrong with that? Like, not a big deal, you just wait. So I just feel that when you lose um, that, that cultural piece, that language piece that you carry with you when you are an immigrant, is going to be exacerbated and then it will be more difficult for people that even that people that want to help you if the if they are not sensitive and they are not um, culturally sensitive or if they don't understand those expectations or those practices that are part of your own mourning process and that are necessary so you feel that you are doing it okay for for the person that you that you lost right and that happens regardless right even within the same uh and this is my personal experience in the sense that i have witnessed this for for um somebody that i know that is my same religion but from a different country so it wasn't so much the religion it's the different practices and then for me trying to understand why is, is this person so eager to get this or that well because there is significance behind it right there is symbolism behind it. There is the sense that you have to fulfill that as part of the ritual that is going to help you in your grieving process. So I just believe that when you are an immigrant, um, again, that's one of the challenges. And those are the challenges that different organizations will probably have to uh, learn and then be more equipped to deal with when, uh, when offering services to communities in general, regardless of where they're coming from. So well said, Margarita. I can very much relate. And I, and I couldn't agree more with you that I feel a lot of the, lack of better word, shortcomings of social service organizations is the lack of awareness of what immigrants may experience or refugees may experience of loss, exasperated by loss, excited and exasperated by loss. The losses as a result of immigration, the losses of roots and not belonging here or there. And then there may be a death-related loss, especially of that, specifically of that of a child or a parent, and that being impacted and complicated by all the other aspects of loss that they're still grieving in their immigration. Yeah. Right. Well, and of course, I didn't touch uh, on that, but the obvious, the obvious other variables are financial security, right? Maybe if you have been here longer or if you were born here, chances are you probably have more support. I mean, chances are because that's not always the case, but you probably have a network of uh, family members that will be able to chip in. So, of course, the obvious pieces, right? Finance, security, and then the support of a community, of a church. Those are 
pretty much obvious for anyone, uh, but I just wanted to highlight those that I consider that are very specific for somebody who is who's an immigrant, yeah. And I so appreciate you highlighting those points because sometimes they're taken for granted. You know, sometimes it's not even on uh, on 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 the radar in the, in in regard to, and, and this is something I heard by doing a lot of outreach with respect to grieving and children's grief is that the according to the social determinants of health, sometimes they're just trying to survive, and they can't necessarily or they don't work necessarily the occupations where they can take two or three days off bereavement leave, or seek and pay for services. Although services at Lighthouse for Grieving Children are no charge. And, and and the impact of grief, you know, complicates that financial aspect. Absolutely. They may not have, like you said, the family or social networks with which to rely on, with which um, to support them during their grieving process or during the loss. No, I think that's a very important piece. I've specifically heard from people, especially within the demographics of multiculturalism, saying we can't afford, and I know this might not even sound sensitive, but we can't afford to grieve this particular this death we have to still survive we still have to live we still have to somehow financially be able to make it is that something that you've heard margarita well all the time all the time right all the time um i mean if you are a new uh, I, I will say a new immigrant if you have been here i don't know 10 years or less it all depends of course but the mo- the majority you're trying again to carve a life for yourself in canada right so Chances are your house isn't paid or you're renting still. Uh, you're probably juggling a couple of jobs, part-time jobs here and there, trying to provide for your family. Yeah, you may even have the three days, the three very many days, but uh, that's not going to solve any issue. You have to basically just keep working and go and, 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 and earn money. I even, and even if sometimes you, are, you, you have been here longer than that, yeah, you see the difference sometimes when people uh, go through a loss and then they can't take the opportunity to take a leave that is longer than that until they have everything in place, they take care of their businesses, uh, and also all the uh, day-to-day nuances of, of somebody who who's passed, right? And then they may be able to take, I don't know, a month to arrange everything, to come back to terms and then uh, hit reality and then go back. To work or go back to uh, volunteer or go back to be a full uh, active member of the community. But that's not the experience of most newcomers. That is not the experience of immigrants uh, in general. Not at all. They just basically need to hit the road pretty much the day after. And not to mention the cost of funeral in Canada, right? It's uh, sometimes impossible to even yes. consider. Yeah, absolutely. For, for yeah. somebody who's just uh, struggling to get some food on the table, yeah. Yeah, well said. Yeah, absolutely. It can definitely be uh, a, a huge burden, the, the financial cost of it. You've been so gracious with your time, Margarita. I, I do have one question, one final question, because I know um, I don't want to take too much of your time. What would you suggest or recommend or think that needs to be done with respect to grief and bereavement support for this generation of children and youth who are either immigrants and refugees or, you know, uh, children of. In terms of them navigating loss, they're they're going to experience loss in some respect, right? But from a death perspective, what do you think we need to do in social services to support children and youth 
who are immigrants or who are children of immigrants if they've experienced a death or a loss? Again, my answer to that question has <laughs> two different levels. Uh, of course, the ideal, the, in an ideal world, will be um, higher, different people with different backgrounds, so they are part of the day-to-day staff in your organizations, and then with them, uh, take the opportunity to learn about the richness of their cultures in anything that has to do with, basically with everything, life and death. But I know that's in an ideal world, and uh, and I know also when we work in the social sector, uh, funds are always a challenge, right? So. I think a combination of hiring people from different cultural backgrounds, but also tapping into volunteers that want to do something for the community, approaching different cultural uh, associations, organizations, churches, temples, communities of worship, to learn more, like be more open and be more curious in the healthy sense of the word, to learn what do you need to do to learn what about their um, different rituals and different symbols and different processes that are important for the families of the children that live in Halton now. So if you go to a mosque, if you go to a Hindu temple, if you go to a, an Orthodox church, if you go to the, to the Gurdwara and then you open up and you reach out for for people that are eager to support you. I was just thinking of the seniors, right? Sometimes seniors are sitting at home and they are so good trying to, they, they enjoy so much and they are so proud of their culture and, and their rituals that they have. That would be wonderful to have them uh, somehow guest speakers or volunteers for your staff meetings, for example, where you can actually ask questions and learn, 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 right? That would be kind of my advice that is uh, basically, again, the two levels. Hire more people because you do need people that are trained, but also from an informal perspective, just learn from the community that is out there and then try to see what you can do to um, be more equipped to deal with uh, the cultures and, and the backgrounds of the children that are coming, crossing your doors and in the community. Yeah, just learn. Asking questions when they are respectfully asked is actually uh, a great way to learn and opens uh, opportunities for people who are proud and eager to share about their cultures when the questions are asked in the in the right way. Learn, learn, learn. <laughs> exactly. I think that's yeah. the theme of even the podcast today. And and interestingly enough, that is the foundational piece of a culturally humble approach that we employ at Lighthouse for Grieving Children. Learn, learn, learn. Be a learner. That is what it is. And and that's exactly what we did today, Margarita. I can't thank you enough with so much gratitude that we had this opportunity to learn from you, from your perspective as a community settlement program coordinator with HMC. You you shared such insights and such wisdom and, and we gained such learning. So thank you for graciously and benevolently sharing your time with us thank you so much for the invitation again rami uh, my pleasure margarita that is margarita cardona is that am i saying it correctly uh margarita let's say that it's okay cardona <laughs> cardona <laughs> <laughs> well i 
appreciate I appreciate uh, your uh, your humor. Um, and that is uh, HMC Halton Multicultural Council Connections www.hmcconnections.com. Stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, Margarita. Thank you for all that you do for supporting immigrants and refugees to this great land. Yes, we were deemed the number one country in the world, but we have a long way to go if we're going to be truly welcoming to all people. So thank you for your time today and stay safe, everyone.